Welcome to One Step Ahead. I'm Kim Leary, and I'm here with my co-host, Mike Wheeler. And it's nice to be here with you, Kim. For those of you who are newcomers to the podcast, Kim teaches adaptive leadership at the Kennedy School and my bailiwick. I don't think I've used that in a sentence for a long time. My field is negotiation. I'm interested in agile negotiation. What are you up to this weekend, Kim? This weekend, I'm heading to Baltimore, actually, for an adaptive leadership conference. It's uh, called the Ripples Conference, and the idea is to see what ripples we can introduce into the ecosystems in which we work. Maybe we can have you back as a guest sometime, um, or maybe you can play both roles, co-host <laughs> and guest. You can interview yourself on this. But that's not what we're doing today. We have the great good luck of having Mike Yeomans on board. He is a postdoctoral student here at the Harvard Business School, and he's talking about some very important stuff. I think we'll probably make this a two-part episode because um, there's a lot of ground to cover, but this will give people at least a taste of what he and his colleagues are learning about receptiveness, being open in conversations. Well, welcome, Mike. We're really delighted to have you here. You do some fascinating work on not just conversation, but in a time when people are having a hard time listening to one another, of what it means to really make yourself available to someone else's point of view, especially if it's different from your own. Tell us more. We're having trouble with some of the conversations in our lives these days, uh, with all kinds of relationships, um, not only in our personal lives, but also in our civic lives, too. Uh, it's tough to talk to people we disagree with. And so me and my colleagues uh, study conversational receptiveness, the idea that you can improve how you engage with people you disagree with, uh, but with the choices you make in conversation. Mm -hmm. And I assume that's with people you know you're going to disagree with, and also when the disagreement maybe catches you by surprise? Absolutely. Sometimes you learn uh, pretty quickly that you disagree with somebody. Uh, but what's interesting, too, is that a lot of these conversations we have don't start out uh, as obviously problematic. It's interesting how over the course of a conversation as the back and forth builds. Conversations can sometimes resemble a spiral of conflict as the disagreement becomes inflamed. And so what we think about is how to cut off that spiral, support a more mutual understanding among people. Uh, so if we start at the beginning, tell us about conversational what is it? Conversational? <laughs> conversational receptiveness. Converse, tell us about conversational receptiveness. How do you know if that's in play? Conversational receptiveness is a way that we think that can help people get along with one another when they have goals that they're trying to share together. And this is really common in a lot of cases uh, where we're building teams. In particular, there are a lot of teams out there that def are defined by their diversity, that the strength of uh, the people that are brought together is dependent on having different perspectives and different information and experiences that they can share with one another. So a lot of the times, disagreement is baked into the cake of what we're trying to do together. You know, you mentioned teams, and I just launched a new class on teams at the Kennedy School this past week. And you're absolutely right that when we look at the literature on teams, there's a lot of research and practice out there that suggests that you're going to get the most innovation and creativity out of a diverse team. 
what they often don't mention until the end of the article is that when you've got the diverse team, you have different points of view and sometimes a lot of friction. So what do we do in those circumstances? Before we even get to the what do you, I'm curious, you know, you stated in broad brush what the problem is and Kim embellished on that, but what kind of data, what do you look at to get a feel of where something goes off the tracks and maybe how it could get going in the right direction? But whom do you observe? What kind of information do you analyze? So conversations are intensely complex, but they're important, right? They get a lot of value out of conversations. And sometimes a conversation is the most important and most enjoyable part of your day. Uh, but sometimes it can also go poorly as well. And so we think about the language that people use in conversation to reflect their values and demonstrate their listening to one another. I understand you're thinking about it. You used the word conception, I think. But are you bugging people's meeting rooms or uh, how, what do you study? Who, who are the lab rats here? Uh, so there are a few lab rats, uh, some friendly folk we paid to write about internet disagreements. We use them to study, but we also then, based on what we've learned with those lab rats, we take our insights and apply them to examples from organizations that draw from a diversity of people. So uh, one example I can tell you about is on Wikipedia. Do you ever use Wikipedia? I yes. do. Uh, sure. Uh, great. Uh, because I know your students are using them. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe that is true, yes. <laughs> uh, have you ever edited a Wikipedia article? Not exactly, mm -hmm. but I've been watching edits on my page, so I'm aware of that. Oh, interesting. I hope they're saying nice things. By and large, by and large, but there are some things where they look for um, substantation of whoever put the thing up. You know, I have not, in fact, been to the moon and back. Mm -hmm. um, those things, I think, have been corrected. I'm overstating it or whatever, but, but there was some, there were some adjectives that were over the top, <laughs> and, and that, got, that got fixed. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they were deserved, but uh, in any event, uh, you know, the, the Wikipedia is a big group of people, and they have articles on every subject you can imagine, including even Mike Wheeler. Wikipedia depends on a diversity of people with all kinds of expertise to volunteer their time for free to support this incredible public good. And so uh, while that diversity is the strength of the organization, it also means it leads to a lot of conflict, particular on pages that are edited frequently by the same kinds of people. Wikipedia has a, a very rich policy on uh, what they call personal attacks, which is a special category that they flag for people who have taken disagreement and escalated it into conflict. And this is really important for them because they want to create a space for people to express their views if they're underrepresented. And that space just can't exist if people feel vulnerable. So let me ask a question about that. So I know that the editing goes on in the way that Mike described, but the disagreements, is that with people posting uh, one bit of content and someone else editing it out, or are there separate comment areas where mm -hmm. you actually see the, the, the fight taking place? In our research, we boiled it down. We looked at threads from a page. We took two threads per page. So they're talking about the same issue. They're both conversations that go back and forth for a couple of turns about issues that these people disagree on. And what's important is we looked at, the, in these pair of threads, uh, one of them 
led to a personal attack and the other one didn't. Mm -hmm. What we found was that the more receptive people were to one another, the less likely the conversation was to descend into a personal attack. And what were the markers of receptivity? So we think about receptiveness as having a four-part recipe that we teach in our paper. So uh, one part of it is uh, acknowledging other people's views. So when we talk to people we disagree with, what we don't realize is that when they're talking to us, they're often looking for grounding. It's a linguistic term that refers to feeling like you're being understood. So sometimes we nod our head, we make a lot of eye contact to demonstrate our listening. But when it's our turn to speak, we can again demonstrate our listening by saying that you understand or you see their point. And oftentimes in the middle of a disagreement, we can miss that. Do you think those are techniques or they represent something that is more deeply embedded in somebody's personality or their social outlook? So we think of it as a skill. Uh, and that's a skill that some people are certainly better at than others, but it's also something that can be learned. And it's also something that is uh, picked up from the context. So let me tell you a little bit about another population we studied. Uh, so we looked at the data from some courses at Harvard X. Now, these are groups uh, where we bring tens of thousands of students from all over the world to talk about important issues together. Again, this is a situation where the diversity of the student body is a strength of the conversations they'll have with one another. And so we could look inside the forums of these courses, uh, being taught at the Graduate School of Education and at the Kennedy School, and we could look at how the students interacted with one another. And because we had taken a survey and we knew all their policy positions, we could tell when they actually disagreed with each other. And we could also look at how they talked to one another over the course of the entire course. What else did you find through that study? So we found uh, exactly what you said, which is that there's a stable amount of receptiveness in people over time. That some people are congenitally more receptive no matter who they're talking to. And additionally, some topics are a lot more receptive than others. So depending on whether that week was talking about teacher pay or unions or the Iraq war or tax cuts, some issues just bring out more receptiveness in other people. But what's fascinating is that on top of both of those, there's a lot of effect of the people around us on how receptive we are. Mm. That the receptiveness we express in conversation is returned in kind. So even though you may be more or less receptive coming in, you're going to be affected by the people who spoke before you, and you're going to affect the people who speak after you too. Kim, when you and I invited Mike to come, it was because this is a really important topic in this day and, and age in terms of the way in which people are talking at each other and past each other. We squeezed it into too small a time. We've got a couple of minutes left. I'm curious, Kim, in terms of your take of what we've heard so far, and I'm wondering whether we can pull Mike back for a part two at, at some time. I sure hope so. You know, I'm so interested in the way in which conversational receptivity may have something to do with curiosity and whether people are genuinely interested in discovering something about another person, including mm -hmm. what they think of your idea. Absolutely. It's unfortunate because every time we talk to somebody with a different belief or a different experience, that's an opportunity we have to learn. And so one of the greatest costs of these conflicts is that we miss those opportunities to get a better perspective. One of the things I sometimes say to my students is that curiosity is most important when you are actually least interested in the other person's point of view. That's when it's actually needed. 
Mm. Well, what do you think in terms of training in this area or any kind of pill that you can prescribe? Certainly, uh, we can all work on receptiveness. Uh, in my own life, I sometimes find myself checking how receptively I'm treating other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if you are uh, good at that skill, it's something you can always get better at. So we developed this recipe because we think it's an easy way for people to get a grasp on the techniques that allow you to express your listening with other people. We've packaged this up in some software uh, that if you're a tech geek like me, uh, you can uh, study receptiveness in any text data that you have. And where can we find that, Mike? You can find that on my website, uh, mikeyeomans.info. That's Y-E-O-M-A-N-S. And that links to an R package, which is open source. It's called the politeness package, if you're looking it up. And how nimble do you have to be with technology to um, actually use it? It's as easy to look at politeness in your text as it is to run a regression. Uh, so, But uh, wait a second. For some people, that's not going to be so re- <laughs> reassuring. Well, Mike, I'm happy to help you. <laughs> no, but for example, if I were to write a letter of some kind... Mm-hmm. Could this software analyze it and say, be nicer? This is part of the ongoing research. I work with a big team, uh, including uh, Julia Minson at the Kennedy School, uh, Francesca Gino and Hannah Collins at the Business School, uh, and also Francis Chen at uh, UBC. Uh, and we're working on a variety of projects, thinking about how we can roll out receptiveness in all kinds of conversations. I would love to have a little check anytime I send an email to a work colleague, or maybe anytime I want to post a comment on a newspaper paper website, uh, just a little a little tick box to see how receptively I'm being, because I think we could all use that second look. Well, I don't think that we needed you or that you needed with Kim and me any greater degree of receptiveness. This is fascinating. And I bet there is a way we can come back to this. In the meantime, I think it's wonderful that people can play in your sandbox uh, on Mike Yeoman's dot info. Info. For all your Mike Yeoman's info. <laughs> Let's remind people about how they can chat with us and with their fellow listeners on our Negotiation 360 website. Well, it's not just the chat that they can have with us and other listeners, but there are other resources uh, on the site. Um, You can find my Negotiation 360 self-assessment and best practice app. There are links to online courses, and we're putting up articles that you and I have written together and maybe some others as well. So there's lots of stuff on agile negotiation and adaptive leadership. Much of it is free. We've even simplified the URL for podcast listeners. Here's how to find us. Just key in the letter N, as in negotiation, and the numbers 360.expert. That's N360.expert, and you'll find us. (laughs) 